Hello and welcome to Running the Table, your source for answers and advice on all things role-playing games. I'd like to thank all of you who have asked questions or sent them in, and if you'd like to ask some of your own, please email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com, or you can ask them directly to Running the Table on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Keith, and joining me today are Nick Singer, the Dungeon Master from Experience and Gold, and James from Friday Nights. Say hello, guys. How's it going? Uh, well, I am recovering from a cold, so could be better, but still not bad. Not much going on over here. You know, started a new job, all that fun stuff, so I'm tired as hell. Uh. How about you, James? Um, you just got over a sinus infection, so other than that, I'm great. Uh. Man, you guys and your weaker immune systems, come on now. No, I'm kidding. I live with a seven-year-old, so that, uh... That'll do it. Yeah. Right up in there. That'll definitely do it. All right. I will just jump right in. I have a question for both of you guys. You both do uh, live play podcasts for role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of thing. Uh, so I am curious as to, and I'm sure all of our listeners are curious, as to how you guys got started in such a creative endeavor. Uh, let's start with James. How did, how did you get started with Friday Nights? How did that kind of kick off? Uh... So honestly, it actually started because I was drunk, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I decided to order uh, a handful of microphones and a soundboard, and we all just said, "Hey, you know, let's let's just start recording the games that we're playing anyway, and if we like them, then we'll post them. If we don't, then we'll just have them ourselves." Right. That makes sense. That's all that happened there. <laughs> And uh, and how long has that been going for since you guys started? Uh, I think October of 2017. Okay. I think this when it was. Is when we started recording, and I think we started releasing January of 20, uh, 2018, so it's just over a year. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nick, uh, same question. How did Experience in Gold get started? Oof. Um... It's a little bit of a lengthier backstory. Um, I used to DM. Uh, I mean, I always DM. I've always been chosen as the DM. You know this. <laughs> um, and back in college, I ran a campaign in which I decided, hey, what if the players, or I mean, what if the characters could hear this music that I'm using as background music? What if the music was a tangible uh, essence within the world? And uh, originally, the players playing were the other two on the Experience in Gold podcast were Sam and Connor. I also had my roommate Jeff and Sam's friend Allie were also playing. Allie ended up taking the Disney uh, internship, so she left. We killed off her character, but we needed a fourth player. Keith, uh, our host here, yeah, that's me, was living in. He was living away because he had just graduated from college. He was doing cool adult stuff and the rest of us were slaving away. <laughs> but uh, I asked him, I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, we used to play D&D together. I'm running a campaign now. You still want to like hang out with us even though we're lame and college kids? And Keith was like, yeah, all right, sure. 
So we ran through, we actually ended up finishing the whole campaign, which is incredibly rare for most D&D groups, I understand. That is very true. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple years later, um I am living in Minnesota with Sam. She was my fiance at the time, and I said, "You know what? I want to do a follow-up to that campaign." And she goes, "Then make it happen." I was like, "All right." And so I tell I I rally the troops and I'm like, "All right, guys, Let's get going. Let's play this game. Unfortunately, Jeff can't make it because he's really busy doing financial advising or something like that. Guy makes bank. Yeah. And then I said, wait a second. What if we made it a podcast? And they all went, all right. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And I mean, we just kind of did it. The first 15 episodes were absolutely awful in terms of audio quality because none of us were really sure what we were doing yet and then uh because i was working at best buy at the time i got a mad discount on uh some snowball mics so i got a couple of those (laughs) and uh we've uh we've gone from there we've been growing ever since we've been doing it for in april this will be two years that we've been running it and uh it's pretty exciting to see this you know thing that i helped start grow into this absurd idiot stupid game that i love <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely I, agree with the, the quality um, same same thing with us it is it is atrocious i I, uh, I i normally tell people just not to listen to the beginning of ours and straight up right we have like a recap spot and it's like just just pick up with that first recap and then from there it's yeah terrible it's not the best yeah. still because we are not audio professionals in any way yeah. i mean uh, so yeah so many podcasts that are out there now are done by amateurs and they still sound pretty great so i think it's okay that we're not professionals doing these things right exactly i mean the only thing that makes you a professional is if you make money off of it true it's true so once you monetize your podcast, you're technically a professional. That, that is true. I am technically a professional. We we just recently got yeah. the first uh, Patreon follower. So, oh, wow. I, you know, nice. I technically make money now. Congratulations. <laughs> Still in the red. <laughs> <laughs> but not as in the red as it would be. Right. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Yeah. All right. I got one more kind of general question for you. Uh, what is your favorite snack or drink when you're running the game? I'll let Nick go first there. Yeah, um, I knew this one pretty much immediately. And uh, anyone who has listened to Experiencing Gold uh, before would probably know this. I like beer a lot. Um, Keith could probably attest to this. I've probably had nights where when they are getting a little bit more rambunctious than usual as players i will be known to kick back more than a couple (laughs) just so that i can get through the session i'm like all right guys let's do this we're in the long haul tonight uh but normally i usually have a snack with me but uh snacking and podcasting recording don't go so well together so i usually substitute it with more liquid bread it doesn't help that you choose the noisiest snacks (laughs) <laughs> I love crispy, crunchy snacks. It is a problem, and I understand that. They're the best kind, just, though. 
Exactly. Otherwise, you know what? I should just get really into applesauce. Just go <laughs> nuts about applesauce. It's probably a very podcast-friendly snack. They are. I don't know. We, I can... we even have those little pouches now, so you can just basically drink it. You don't oh, even yeah. have to use so you, don't, right. you don't even have the spoon clinking against the glass or the yeah. bowl. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the cool kids would just tear off the top and turn the foil like <laughs> inside out. Spoon anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. So I'm pretty similar in my uh, snacking slash beverage needs. Um, I normally will have a, uh, a Jack and Coke, or I guess more accurately, a Jack and Dr. Pepper. Um, oh, nice. And we'll drink that. Uh, the downside of that is I'm not the DM in our podcast, so our DM has to deal with me being the drunk guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not as great. But for snacking, we, we went to a nice, sensible on crunchy snack we we get uh, gummy bears and wow. we just eat gummy bears throughout most of the time um and then have pizza on snacks of course okay okay i mean for me i uh i don't do much snacking during the podcast uh but i will i will enjoy a beer or a whiskey keith loves his whiskey i mean it's great it's the best way to do it. Yeah. One part whiskey, two parts whiskey. <laughs> now you have three parts whiskey. <laughs> and one quarter part ice, sometimes. And that's how crafting in 5e works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wait two weeks and you can have your drink. Right? Oh, man. All right. Well, so on our first episode, we covered kind of general essentials. And on our second episode, we covered setting up and getting the setting going and so now on this third episode it is time for questions about running your first session mm, my favorite session so this is the do's the don'ts the in-betweens everything and let's just jump right into it our first question is what are some of the important do's and don'ts when running your very first session as a gm now, I have a quick question. By first session, is this the first true session, or are you counting a session zero if you do one? Uh, this, is the f this is the first true session. Okay. Session zero has already happened at this point. Well, then you but just that is, that is a good, uh, That is a good point. <laughs> one of the biggest do's is have a session zero before your first session. Yes. Right. Yeah, get everybody on the same page. Everybody knows what character they're playing, what class they're playing. You gave your DM some history. Your DM has actually tried to fit some history into plot hooks, that kind of thing. Yeah. The mm -hmm. session zero is immensely important for it to be fun for basically everyone. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm going to piggyback off of that really quick. Um, one of the most important things that uh, I see time and time again that sometimes I see part or, uh Groups do it super well, and sometimes I see groups, you know, that are lacking on that, and then the players are, like, upset, or the DM is upset, and it's uh, communication. Uh, you would be, yeah. like, shocked at how far, like, a little bit of communication with your players goes. Like, what do you guys want? Like, if you just sit down with your players and say, do you guys want more roleplay or more combat? And then they say, you know give us more roleplay, now you know you can cater to them better and everybody has more fun. Because as the DM, you don't really care which or which one it is 
or if there's a different aspect to it, you just want to make sure that everybody's enjoying this thing that you are creating with them. Uh, I will piggyback off of that real quick. Um, it is also important to keep in mind that sometimes a player may change their mind, and that's okay. If they wanted roleplay heavy and then they're finding out that this political intrigue game is just not that fun and they decide to go hog wild and just start a war, that's fine. Let them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, with a side note for that is as long as everybody else in the yes. uh, at the table is okay with that as well. If you have one murder hobo and a bunch of people that are all in the might need to find another group or try and find a better way to balance that out yeah in which situation it's usually uh not usually it should be on the dm to uh sit down with them and say hey um nobody is enjoying themselves with this character uh you're making people a little uncomfortable uh if you want to keep playing with our group i would say like maybe take your character in a different direction or if you really want to go that path, like with that character, and you don't want them to change who they are, maybe don't play as them, and we can send them off in a natural, organic way. Or, unfortunately, this might not be the right group for you. And, I mean, if you know people, you can say, I know these guys play like this. If you want, I can talk to them for you. Because the last thing you want to do is ostracize someone from the community. Unless, of course... They're being like one of those, um, you know, in if they're being inappropriate, like in, intentionally belligerent, yeah. inappropriate, and we've all heard the horror stories. There's no reason to go that, into it. That said, but uh, it there is a there can be a place for a well structured murder hobo in a political intrigue style group. Strongly oh, agree. Absolutely. So absolutely, it can be great to work that character into that direction as well, and. That way you cater to, to everybody's kind of approach and desires. Right. It can be Before... difficult to do, but that's why there's always the option of, hey, I know somebody else who really just does total just war combat. campaigns. You will show up, you will run four encounters, and you will go home. That is it. Like... Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a style of play for everybody. Yes. So, beyond that, what are some of the other important do's and don'ts that you guys might think of? So, one of the big uh, things I usually start with uh, a session one. Uh, and I don't know if this is kind of the same scenario for you, James, or not. But I have found myself many, many, many times with more than half of my players being new to the game. Like, it's the first time they've ever played it. Um, I'm actually running one right now with... uh, For both of my brothers and two of my my childhood friends. And only one of them, one of my childhood friends, he knows how to play the game, but he's never played in, like, as he put it, a good game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's enjoying this one, so I'm doing something right. (laughs) But uh, none of them knew how to play. And one of the things that I always tell new DMs to do when they are first running their first session with new players is minimize the amount of NPCs. A huge do is give them maybe one or two NPCs to talk to or 
you know, if they meet some, don't make them seem very important because it forces them to talk with each other and makes that role play more organic. It forces them out of their comfort zone in the initial like stages so that they will be more comfortable later on and also uh, get a better feel for their character, how their character acts, how they uh, respond to things, what they think of the other characters. And it allows for a more organic growth within the narrative of the campaign instead of forcing everybody into uh, situations that they may not have wanted their character to go in. And uh, I have something related that is an important don't, which is don't let your players languish without direction. It's, it's fine to let them interact with each other and to let them make decisions, but don't just give them nothing. You, it's your job as the dungeon master or as the game master to provide those hooks and see what, what grabs their attention as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so, agree with that. So don't negate NPCs entirely, minimize. Don't uh, leave them by themselves, just give them a reason to talk with each other. Right. Yeah. Now that being said, going along with the uh, what I was talking about previously, knowing what your party wants, I like you could run a like I could have somebody DMing a campaign that I'm a player in, and they could literally just say, "Here is the world," and I've just dropped you and the other characters into it, and having the whole concept of the world is your oyster, I would be like, "Let's go," and um it. It requires very seasoned uh, players, very quick-witted DMs and stuff like that. But I think there's much value into a like a concept where if you are playing with people who are very comfortable with what they're doing, you can give them literally nothing. And you and the players can come up with the story on your own as you go. And that's, that's not still literally giving them nothing, though. That's giving right. them a world, giving them a playground. And that can create its own hooks for adventure and story very easily right you yes know, you see, i would agree with that you see somebody getting mugged and suddenly you're roped into this criminal syndicate somehow because that Let's already go. existed <laughs> exactly yeah as of five minutes ago <laughs> yeah as of right now as of right now that existed so here you go you're roped in now you you owe a life debt to some thief and yeah yeah, I, I will also say as a uh, as a DM, kind of in the same suit that you guys are talking about, it, it is great to just put out the idea of a thing and then just yeah. sit back and don't do anything. Because some of my best times um, doing some for some older friends was I literally said, hey, there's these three concepts. And they were like, oh, the second one is definitely it. And they just ran with it. And I I didn't even have to do much of anything. It was a lot of interacting with each other. And then occasionally they'd be like, oh, hey, is there actually an NPC that could give us this information? Or right. Oh. And then I'm just like, yes, uh, you know that this could happen. And then, yeah. and then, and then it's, it goes back to, you know, they're just doing their own thing. And all I'm doing is essentially occasionally calling for a role, which is the best way to do it for me. Yeah. I well, mean, those that... are my favorite parts in whenever I'm DMing is when the players just take something and run with it. And I just get to sit back and I'm like, all right, you guys DM for a little bit. We're good. <laughs> exactly. Let me go get another refresher drink. Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I can still hear you. I can still hear you. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a lot that we can do for our first session. And those are some of the most important things. And it boils down to 
getting over that awkwardness and having that communication aspect, I believe, and making sure that there's not somebody just kind of going off in a different direction entirely from the group or the group just sitting there while you do nothing. That gives me, um, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna put a spotlight on Keith. Actually, you can pat yourself on the back for this one. Um, one of the things that he did in a campaign once that I have since adopted because it's brilliant in my opinion is, uh, give them a starting disaster yeah. um like a natural disaster or say uh like what a, one thing i've done before is they go into a town and then suddenly the town is besieged by this massive army from the empire to the east um it forces the players to cooperate because all too often i'm sure both of you know this there's always that oh let's get into PVP on night two because my character hates their character. And you're like, can you guys not? Uh, And the next thing you know, someone has a dead character on night three and they don't want to play the game or even think about it ever again. And that's something you want to avoid. So forcing the players into a situation in which they need to work together to survive strengthens their characters bonds very early on and allows them to flourish. Um, Definitely. I played a drow artificer. She was a very sassy woman who hated most people. And Keith made us shipwrecked in the very second episode or second session. And I had to cooperate with this incredibly flamboyant gay wood elf that my girlfriend at the time, now wife, was playing as. (laughs) And... My character hated that person in the beginning. And by the end of the campaign, they were, you know, best friends. Like, everybody's like, yeah, these are the two. Like, all the NPCs are like, have you heard about those two? And it was... I don't think it would have been as organic and as solid of a bond if we did not need to cooperate so much together in the beginning. I will also uh, make a point here... uh, your character did at least once attempt to go a different direction entirely from the rest of the group. <laughs> yes, and she did. Promptly because... got whooped. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she was saved by this wood elf, and that's what really solidified it. Like Keith, you like I don't want to just sit here and as uh as i don't want to sound uncouth about it i don't want to sit here and jerk you off about it but it was great it was a very good example of how to handle a first slash second session yeah so getting them to work together is definitely very important and so incredibly important one of the other things that uh i would say for your first session that's an important don't this can be something very useful later on but don't Put them on opposite sides of an issue. Don't let them split the party right away. Uh, Never split the party. Don't split the party at all, Keith. What are you talking about? No, it can be it can be really useful to split the party later on, and even have players end up on opposite sides of some things. Right. But don't do it the first session. Don't do it as people are getting used to the game. Don't do it as people are getting used to each other as characters and like. Unless, of course, they are, you know, incredibly seasoned and signed up for this bullshit. If they're incredibly seasoned (laughs) and have played together before, then by all means, 
a lot of these things kind of don't hold because they're already established. So right. there's no absolute rules, but if it's your first time done playing as DM and it's your first time with these players, don't let them split themselves up. Get them to work together. Get them together as a group. You can split them mm-hmm. up later. Yeah. I also, yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, go ahead, James. Yeah, whenever you're uh, you're starting this out, if it's a new group, in general, a lot of times I find that I have to um, kind of force the spotlight sharing a little bit because there's always oh, yeah. going to be oh, yeah. one or two people that are always going to be in it. They're always want to do it. They they're down to RP. They're, they want to mm-hmm. be the lead, and then you have normally it happens to your newer players that have not played very often or. Maybe they're more shy around people they don't know. And so a lot of times you have to basically pinpoint and say, hey, you know, player one, what what did you want to do while this other person is doing all this stuff? Yeah. Um, or, and, even, uh, or even have an NPC call them out directly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's always so much fun. Exactly. Um, the NPC's like, you're talking too much. I want to hear from someone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just <laughs> you talk a lot. What is your opinion? Yeah, my, my favorite thing uh, as an NPC, if you're going to do that too, uh, is to say, well, let's see what the leader of the group thinks. And then you just pick the shy person. <laughs> and then now it's canon that they are leading the group. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, James, I'm going to steal that just so you know. I'm definitely going to use that. Yeah, it, it's pretty great. Um, it doesn't always end super amazingly. They may, they may uh, quickly back out of it, but it's, it's always a fun thing to yeah. Um, also, I'd like to encourage newer players specifically to remember that they can do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of, and I'm sure both of you have had the same thing running game where they'll say, well, can I do this thing? Yeah. And I'm always just, you can try. <coughs> yeah, I say that so much. <laughs> I mean, uh, they're like, can I do this? And I say, you can do anything or you can try or, Oh man, that is, I think that's one of my favorite things as a DM is reminding the players that they can do whatever they want or uh, what's the, there's always something that I always say, and I'm trying to remember what it is. We're out of beer. So I had a bunch of wine. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, One of the things hits you harder. One of the things that I always like to do is when people ask me, can I do this? I just say, roll your D 20. All right, add this. Yep. You tried. You tried. Terribly. You did it, or you <laughs> didn't, or... You didn't make it, but you tried and failed. <laughs> ah, that's right. Is uh, when a player, a new player, asks me, you know, kind of hesitantly, can I do this thing? And it, like, blows me away. I'm like, oh, man, I never would have thought to do that. And they're like, I want to try to do this. And then they roll and they succeed and all the other players are like, are you sure that they can do that? And I'll just sit back, lean back a little bit and I'll go, I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I think we have a a good grasp on some of the important do's and don'ts. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, This is more specific. How do you start your new games do you embrace tropes subvert them try to be creative or unique and why i'll let you take this one james uh for me it depends on the group that we're with Um, but for the most part i tend to pick tropes and stick with those because they're um 
it is something that everybody can get into. There's not a lot of questions about how things should be functioning. They're, most people are pretty familiar, and it starts the process much quicker and smoother. And then after that, you can then you know deviate down to go to your anti-tropes if you wanted to. Yeah, um, but I, right. I definitely think you know starting in the tavern is very standard. Everybody started in a tavern. And, yeah, you know, I, I wanted posters it. or, you know, somebody comes in, please help, you know, this thing happened. I started a, a group at work not too long ago, and they started in a tavern. Yep. Right away. Yep. There's no reason not to, especially when <laughs> at least two of them were rogues. Exactly. And, like, and it puts a great place for people that don't know each other to have an excuse to be in the same place, you know, yeah. to, Everyone goes to the local inn because it's the only thing to do. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's like uh, you know, the the most important thing you can learn in another language is I'd like two beers, please. You know, one for you and one for the new best friend you're about to make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going off of that, I agree with James. I love I love me my tropes. I am a trope whore. Uh, that is no question. Uh, anybody who's listened to Experience in Gold ha- knows that for a fact. Um, I started out with, you know, guess what? You're heroes of a grandiose thing, and you were destined to be this. Uh, I like to play with the concept of fate a lot in my campaigns. And I I tried to avoid it with a couple of them, and it always ends up going back to this concept of I don't want to say predetermination or predestination because that's craziness, but this idea that everything hinges on those four, five, three characters, like everything depends on them is always fun to me. Right. Like, uh, it's kind of the... Like a prophecy? <laughs> yeah, uh, prophecies. Yeah. If you've ever... This is going to make me sound like a total weeb, but if you ever, uh, the Tales series, like Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Vesperia, etc., etc., every single one of those games starts off with a very small minor problem. And for example, in Vesperia, it's, we got to go fix, we got to go get back the magic orb so that the, the fountain in the slums is working again. And by the end of it, you're like, we need to rearrange how this world uses its (coughs) magic so that nobody dies from this horrifying tentacle elder god monster. Like, I love that concept of lowly beginnings, this small kind of tiny insignificant thing snowballing until the players are like, remember when we set out to just do this one thing? (laughs) Yeah. I I will say... when things were nice and easy? I will say that that is also a fun trope to subvert. Uh, you get told early on, you're the chosen one. And then it turns out you're not, and you get smacked down, and you got to go do this other thing, completely unrelated to what you initially set out to do that was way too grandiose for a level one character. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, you, you show up in another group that's already there. Yeah. <laughs> e- equally comprised of the same classes and races, and like, oh, I guess I got wrong just slightly. <laughs> The names are all off by a single letter. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
the old guy that told the prophecy, yeah, my, uh, my translating's a little bit off, I'm sorry. And everyone's like, are you serious? <laughs> but then, then revert that trope, you know? Like, change oh, yeah. it back and make it so it's, that they are the ones that do it, you know? It like, turns out that they know. weren't. And then it turns out that the people that actually were lost, and then they become... It's all... Yeah. It's like Harry Potter with the whole Neville Harry thing. Yeah. Well, kind of, sort of. I don't know. Well, one of them becomes the chosen one, and if he had died, the other one would have. I guess. <laughs> I still think it should have been Neville the whole time, and Harry probably. should have just been this guy. Probably. Like, it probably up the whole thing. That's just a fun trope to, to play with as well, the whole chosen one, in, even in reverse. And so I guess... Tropes are there for a reason in a game like this. They're familiar, and they're a good right. way to get people hooked into a story that they otherwise might not be as invested in as they could or might be awkward about getting invested in. And as long as you can play that appropriately, you know, that's why there's tropes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, here's a good one. Should I do combat in the first session? And to follow up, should I do combat in a new player's first session? I don't see why not. Yeah, I say absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, it's it's a really good help, especially with a new player. Actually, it's probably the best time to do it. Um, yeah, because they're level one or maybe level three, depending where you're at. So they don't have a whole lot to deal with and have to figure out all the different class abilities that they might have or if they're a caster how many spells yeah. they have and all that. they just know okay i can do a thing how does this work and it gives you the, the general mechanics so that later on you can have the flow set a little bit better i will say as a counterpoint that having played dm for some players that are intimidated by the rules of dungeons and dragons and other games it can be beneficial for new players to not have to deal with combat their first time to just kind of get the feel for how the game overall plays. But Yeah, exactly. Again, it's something, it's something that you, you cater to your players. So if you know that they can handle it, then yeah, throw some combat at them. If you think that they might be overwhelmed, then maybe stick to just some dialogue and roleplay. I mean, I'm going to actually disagree with you here on this one, Keith. Um, and that's just because D&D, &D, and you can, like, absolutely go for it. Play an entire campaign of D&D &D with no combat. Go for it. But in general, as a rule of thumb, combat is something that is inherent to D&D. &D. It's part of it. It will always be a part of it. And I think that starting out level one, letting the players know this is a part of the game and helping them learn helping them uh, get used to this game is incredibly important. Unfortunately, not everybody can pick up on the rules quickly and right. can tend, so and will lot... tend to be like overwhelmed by combat. And even if you help them, will get discouraged and not return. It's true. But on the, uh, on the side note of that, or the opposite of those, those people that are probably overwhelmed or frightened of those rules, especially with uh, 5e, much more simple than Pathfinder or even 3.5. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is much more simple now. Um, it could also give them the, oh, combat actually isn't that difficult. There's a set of four things that I can do at any given time, and I just have to worry about 
Right. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not saying don't do combat with them at all. I'm saying that if they're already overwhelmed with the general rules, then maybe yeah. hold off until the second session. Yeah, I, I mean, if they are definitely skittish already, <laughs> and you know that they have concerns or anxiety about it, then yeah, maybe you could bring it back a little bit uh, or hold off for your second right. session. Or even, or even give them just a simple enemy that combat is over in one round. Right. Right. Personally, what I would do is I would communicate with that player in the moment. I would literally say, all right, pause, let's stop for a second. Ask them, you know, are you okay? And if not, I will come up with a reason on the fly to remove them from the combat. Like, you know, say they get tied up or something by the enemy. I don't know. Right. And then they, can watch they get to sit right. They get to sit on the sidelines, watch and learn. Yep. Um, it's easier to absorb sometimes for some people when you can watch it and you're removed from the situation. Myself, I prefer just, you know, it's the way my dad taught me to swim. Throw me in the deep end of the pool and say, go for it, dude. Yep. But yeah, some people and, that doesn't work. And, and it's important to communicate that, which, whoa, we're going back to the thing I first stated. Holy cow. Yeah, <laughs> communication has been... Uh... <laughs> brought up on every episode so far because it is very uh -huh. important it's uh, the most important thing you're going to be talking with several other human beings pretending to be other human beings or elven maybe beings, human beings dwarven beings for for like a home campaign four to five hours a night you know yeah. it's important that everybody is on the same page otherwise feelings get hurt people get discouraged and that is the last thing that you would ever want in this beautiful hobby yeah moving on to lighter notes uh <laughs> sorry that's a joke um how do you keep track of things like character factions locations and small notes is there a certain software or method that you use that you really like index cards <laughs> oh that's actually pretty good yeah, that's not bad. I try and do that uh, for towns, or you know, I'll have one that says, you know, "Here's the town, general population, key locations, key NPCs." So then you're basically done. Uh, you could do that in a in a binder or something like that along those lines, so you can jump back and forth really quickly. But for the most part, I am actually terrible at uh, keeping this, which is actually goes back to the original question of don'ts. <laughs> you should keep notes. Especially if you're the DM, oh. because yes. it's going yeah. to come back up, and you're going to be like, I don't remember that thing, or that NPC wasn't a planned NPC. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way with you there on James. I am god-awful at notes. Um, I uh, Generally, most of my notes, and every single DM that's listening to this is probably going to like recoil in like, terror. Uh, most of my information I store in my noggin. Yep. Oh, yeah, geez. which is not the way to do things, but it it works for me because it's I don't know I just remember the things that I have created better than the nucleus of a cell. I don't know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> when there's time for like really important stuff, I will definitely write it down. Like write it down as soon as possible. Uh, to give a an example of something new that I've started trying is uh, with this campaign with my brothers that I was talking about, um, there are 
multiple factions. I'm doing kind of a, uh, I'm building off of the concept of Ravnica, uh, if you know Magic the Gathering, and, well, anybody playing D&D these days also knows, you know, they've just introduced it into D&D. Yeah. But uh, it's a city of guilds, and I decided, you know what, let's just make a city of 20 guilds. It's just an enormous city, and I want to try to do this entire campaign within a single city. Well, it's a city the size of Rhode Island, mind you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but it's been, uh, I, uh, and one of the things that I did is I don't normally do upkeep. And by upkeep, I mean like, oh, they did this. That means these people think this of them. These people think that of them. I generally just come up with that on the fly. I am a very, very good improv uh, DM. Which is an important skill to have as a DM. Oh, you got to know so much improv. Just it's. If you don't know how to improv, you're going to get frustrated as a DM. You, you will I figure it out. <laughs> you got to figure it out because it is so important. Because your players will throw anything and everything at you. I agree but with, that. Uh, with these 20 guilds, I created a chart of, uh, you know, oh, they took a job for this guild? Well, these guilds thought this. And so it raises or lowers their standing with them. And I've been using actually a uh, Google Sheets document for that uh and i've been sending them updates every time they've taken a job and right now the mages college hates them (laughs) just despises them like they can't even take (laughs) jobs from them right now it's hilarious which is upsetting because i don't get to throw in um and i don't know if you do this james and uh i'm super guilty of it uh but one of the things that i do is uh there is almost always names that i will throw into every single one uh kind of like sid in final fantasy yeah you know what i'm talking about and uh it's the uh if you know who benwan mandelbrot is uh (laughs) very famous mathematician yeah uh and if you listen to jonathan coton you'll go oh yeah okay but uh i always have a wizard of some sort named mandelbrot and i just really wanted them to meet the headmaster but they (coughs) won't (laughs) Because he hates them so much. <laughs> but uh, the entire, the, the whole, like, you know, Microsoft Office Suite, Google Docs, Google uh, Excel, whatever Google's Excel program is called, I don't know. Sheets. Yeah, Sheets. <laughs> yes, it's Sheets, Google Sheets. Um, those are an incredibly useful resource. Uh, sheets for maintaining, like, you know, data. Say they are running a shop. You can keep track of what they're selling while they're off doing things because downtime activities are something that's really fun to get into in late game. I agree. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you also uh, get, um, going on along the lines of the Google Suite things, they have a uh, their little survey item. And that's a great way to start things because you can have your key, you know, 10 questions you want to know about the character. Mm-hmm. And you oh, can yeah. just say, hey, fill this out. And then you have it in an email form. So that later on you can go, oh yeah, well, this is what that person's motive was at the beginning. Let's start uh, adventuring. Let's callback. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's super useful. Uh, basically, find. In my experience, things that you would generally consider unconventional for note keeping or uh, running the campaign are usually the best things for it. 
that said, uh, there is something to be said about simple pen and paper. Oh my gosh, I prefer pen and paper all day, every day. And so, personally, <laughs> uh, my note keeping ranges from hasty notes jotted down on a notepad that I always keep nearby when I'm uh, DMing, through uh, extensive histories outlined in Google Docs or somewhere online or something like that that I can access, including uh, just sheets showing countries that have existed and not existed and for how long, that kind of thing. And I've recently taken it even further with a taxonomical software system that I use because, well, I'm a linguist. And... <laughs> Easy there. Don't show off too much, Keith. And this this whole thing is great. It's free. It's called Protégé. What it does is its entire function is to define relationships between named entities. And so you can use it to define who knows who, uh, what get, what operations know what people and what, up, what other operations or organizations and what their opinions are of these people. That's and so good, I think that your guild campaign might actually benefit from utilizing Protege. We used a, uh, a wiki software um, that yeah. we had just locally oh. once, and we did it because the town that uh, my buddy was, he, he kind of created this town, and uh, he used it in every campaign, no matter what we were playing. Mm -hmm. So we would we could play, you know, some Cowboys in the Wild Wild West, and it was always that town, but in different points of time. Okay. And so it was really fun to come back to it periodically, and you'd see, oh, there's the school for, of, you know, this random dude, and everybody that's there knows that guy, because it was the character, or, you know, it was somebody that played with them before. And so we had, like, a wiki going that was essentially the history of this town. It was almost a state kind of area, and it did have characters and timelines and you know enemies friends all that stuff all just Very in cool. a wiki style and it was great because everybody added to it that was in the group so it wasn't down to the dm having to keep track of everything yeah they would just go hey these are the notes that i had and it would show you know hey this person added this history or whatever it was kind of neat very fun i like that a lot especially um because it's a it's a, a phrase that my wife uses a lot to describe D and D, uh, which is collaborative storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Um. A lot of times you'll see DMs, and this is actually something for you know first session, tying it back to your topic, Keith. Uh, DMs will often get wrapped into this concept that this is their thing, this is their story, this is their thing. It's not just yours; it's the players too. They are contributing, they are helping tell this story that you have only provided the framework for. And so that idea, like what you were saying, James, with this uh, this wiki, which I am definitely going to look into now, um, is it kind of embodies that concept of collaborative storytelling. It makes it everybody's campaign instead of the DM's campaign. And I really like that. Yeah, it was pretty great because we even had some misinformation. Because that's how because that's how the information was given in our sessions. So it was as it was given in sessions is how it was documented. Because it's kind of like a like a journal entries for those characters. So those characters believed these things to be true, 
And if you came back into it, it would just be like going to the library and reading these, you know, random journal or their their story that they made up about themselves. That kind of thing. Right. Okay. Here's another question. What is the best way to integrate my players with the story and world during this first session? I think we touched on this a little bit early on. Uh, with, with with the concept of fate and stuff. With the concept of fate, but also I was thinking that with session zero. The, the session mm-hmm. zero and the idea of finding a way for them to work together. Uh, just however you can come up with that. I think that that really integrates them with each other and it also gives them a challenge within the world so now they feel a part of it right yeah giving them something that is in the world that's a tangible thing tangible goals are super great to do very early on yeah because then that's something that they're building for and they will generally remember oh yeah i remember we did this thing and they may remember it as one session you know 10 years ago but it actually was you know 34 sessions <laughs> Because uh-huh. it's, it's actually two two years of working together, and they've convinced it down. Do you remember that one time we did this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I think this. Nope. We've got two more questions. Uh. So this next question is kind of picking up piggybacking off of that. Uh. And we've touched on NPCs before. This question. We'll hopefully expand on that. Uh, how can I create some interesting characters to make the setting come alive and to pull my players in? It's a really good question. Um, for me, I will generally try and make my NPCs that I want to be important or notable um, characters. I generally try and create them as if I was creating a character I wanted to play myself. Because as a DM, that's the closest I get to being able to play a character is actually having NPCs. So a lot of times I will say, I really love this idea of this type of class with this, you know, weird, you know, history that they might have or, you know, this weird gimmicky thing that they have. They always do or they always don't do. And I will just create those and normally have them just sitting to the side (laughs) <laughs> as an idea <laughs> um, with no real yeah. stats or anything to them until it comes up and I'm like okay I should just throw some stats on this guy or make them okay. person. Uh, I, I will say that one of the things that I've done in the past that I feel helps to make characters interesting is keeping in mind that no matter what their goals are or where they end up they always think of themselves as the main character and they always will think of themselves as on the side of good uh so even if whether you've got a king who is apathetic to his citizens he thinks well everybody loves me i'm the greatest and clearly i'm doing the best i can that's his opinion now you need to think of how other people see him and that kind of juxtaposition i feel helps to flesh them out pretty quickly feel like you're talking about how our president uh, <laughs> feels about himself. <laughs> yeah. um, building off of that, um, I would say creating a good and en- or like creating an NPC for like early game. One of my favorite things, um, which is an uncommon trope nowadays, honestly, is the ever-present villain. 
uh, the villain that is there from session one, the villain that they always know this is the guy that we're gunning for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't see it enough in my opinion because I love it because nothing brings your players together more like more, nothing brings your players together more than hatred for an NPC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And give just... them something that they all agree is worse than each other. Well, and oftentimes <laughs> they will hate on an NPC that you did not see that coming. True, uh, that will happen sometimes as well. And that should be fine as well. Even if you really like that NPC, just understand that it's okay that the players hate him. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have, in the past, I've also created, you know, villains that aren't the big bad, but they are there from stage one. And everyone agrees, we hate this guy. Uh, make someone that is, make a villain that is really fun to hate. Right. Um, I think that that is one of the most valuable things for an NPC in a campaign, is a villain that your players actively enjoy disliking. I will also present a word of caution. Too often, people will hear something similar to that kind of an advice and go into the how could anybody like this person as a as a person? Uh, you know, they kick puppies and want to just destroy right. things for the sake of destroying things. I would say that that's a natural disaster, not a villain. <laughs> right. I'm. I'm. You would never so, go yeah. that far. So try to avoid going that direction. A villain still does see themselves as kind of a good guy, but make them fun to be against. Make them fun to hate, even though they think they're they're totally right. Right. My my favorite villains are the guys that you thought were your friends. They actually even helped you out in the beginning. Mm-hmm. The little backstabbers. I love those. Oh yeah, they are <coughs> they're some of the best. And you play the long game with them too throughout the entire campaign. So like oh, yeah. session two, three, everybody's just like, We like this guy, and then by like session fifty everyone's like, Are you serious? Exactly. We've always hated him. They, they keep going back. Yeah, they keep going back and giving them information. So like that's how they. <laughs> that's how he's always a step ahead of them, and they they just don't realize that it's because they're giving yeah. information to the bad guy. All right. Just as a final word, do you guys have any additional suggestions that are not for these specific questions when running the very first session as a GM or DM? Um. I have one. Have fun and make sure your players are having fun. Well, that's a given. Come on now. That's not with, the, that's not with your first session. That's with every session. So. Yes. I agree <laughs> yeah. with James on that. That is, that is every for your session. every session. So keep it in mind during your first as well. Yeah. Um, one thing I like to do, or one thing I found was fun. I, I've actually never done it because I'm a terrible GM. Um, but one thing I, I've found being pretty fun with new players specifically is starting out with something that you give them as like a notepad like even like the small little you you go to the dollar tree and and you come out with some notepads and everybody gets their their yeah and that way it kind of also encourages them to take notes and do things which gets them more engaged Hmm. so if you do something like that then they're like oh i remember uh you know you you totally gave me this book and that's why i've been writing this stuff down yeah Nick, do you have any other suggestions or anything like that? Um, 
I think the biggest suggestion I have for DMs, especially if you're a first-time DM, GM, etc., is it can be scary. It can be really scary um, because you've got a lot riding on you. Uh, your friends and potentially sometimes even people you've never met are relying on you to provide this framework for them in which they can have fun. You have to manage all these different characters, potentially, that you have to pretend to be. There's, It can be overwhelming. It can be, like I said, it can be very scary. Mm-hmm. And get, I don't want to say like, get over that, but you can do it. To any DM out there listening to me right now, you can do it. Um, I can do it. Keith has done it. James has done it. My wife has done it. I have seen so many people that have taken that jump and chose to step up from player to DM or been that one hand that raises when everybody finds those books in their older brother's attic and one person says, all right, I'll be the DM. I'll run it. Just you got to give yourself that push. You're standing on a cliff over something great. And that push will to just let it all go. Let just don't be embarrassed to put all of that aside and just have a good time is what will make the difference in your life, in my opinion. So I I will live. Hold on. The last point I want to make is just just live life unabashedly, basically. Transfer that into your D&D. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Be brazen. And you will have the time of your life. I will also say, uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Everybody's made a mistake when they're a DM. And the best part about being a DM or GM is you're in charge of the game. And, oh, hey, that character is actually named John. Sorry. I totally messed up. That's just what it is now. Yeah. Okay. Over planning is a terrible thing to do. Yeah. Don't don't worry about it. You don't have to have everything planned out because, like you said, yep. There, there's a good there. don't don't overplan. Don't <laughs> yeah. overplan and don't be afraid to retcon. Yes, I, I think that every player, if you've played in at least two sessions, you can be a DM. If you are, if you like to tell stories, you can be a DM. It does not take uh, a rocket scientist to do it. There is a lot mm-hmm. of effort and. You put a lot of yourself into a game, which is super scary, mm-hmm. and I think that's the scariest part. But it is also vastly rewarding if you do it. So, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist, but it does take effort. But you shouldn't be afraid of that because the rewards are worth it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our last question, uh, and so this has been running the table with my guests today, Nick Singer, the Dungeon Master from Experience in Gold, and James from Friday Nights. Please check, out, on, uh, please check out any links in the description. Uh, support their projects. Uh, Friday Nights has a Patreon. Experience in Gold, we'd love it if you took a listen. Uh, and We'll have one eventually. <laughs> probably. It was an oversight on my part. <laughs> downside of needing music in every episode uh, is that some some people will let you use their music but only as long as you don't monetize it yeah as long as you don't make money off of it yeah yeah yep. creative commons is a thing uh i would also like to thank 
you for listening. And if you find yourself with questions you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Running the Table on both Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs>